I always tell people it's they don't say it, it doesn't mean you're not approved. It just means they don't do that. They ever they each Correct. have their own process, you know. Sometimes Correct. they just no matter how much they like you, they wait until afterwards and they discuss and render their decision. Welcome to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast with experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gastaska and Jonathan Conlin. Break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. In this episode, John and Jonathan are outlining everything that you need to know if you're thinking of purchasing property in New York City. From figuring out your budget to how to navigate the board application process, their experience and expertise will leave you feeling confident and ready to move forward. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, doing great. And we want to welcome everybody back So this afternoon, what we're going to be talking about is the entire buying process if you want to buy a New York City piece of real estate. and Sort of end-to-end? End-to-end. So, you know, we've touched on some of the the aspects of the podcast in our former episodes, but uh, we're going to just start by... um, launching into what, first of all, what makes Manhattan very unique. First and foremost, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through this fairly quickly because there's a lot to talk about. In our show notes, you'll see we've done a few episodes talking more in depth about it. So rather than us referencing the different episodes as we go through, I think it makes sense for people to just look in the show notes if you're interested in one particular section or or, or reach out to us. Breakdown. Reach out to us or listen to our podcast. We love yeah. it. Listen to us. Um, so. Yes, it's a long process, but uh, it can be helped by putting the right team together. Um, And first and foremost, you need to decide what kind of property you want to look for. So uh, we talk about co-ops and condos is the majority of our market here. We do have a small amount of, uh, relatively speaking, of townhouses. Um, Those are attached on either side, basically row houses, they're called townhouses. Um, not really any freestanding homes uh, on the island of Manhattan in, you know, south of 110th Street, maybe further up north. So, I, and buying property is very different here because of that reason. So the townhouse is obviously not as much. That's a pretty simple, uh, is like you're buying a, a house somewhere outside the city, but the co-op, we're going to focus on co-ops and condos because that's heavily the majority of our, of our, uh, of our market down here. Um, so, um, a couple things, a couple notes, there's no MLS here. So now most of the firms have now decided to put everybody's listings on their website. So everybody, you can really go to any corcoran.com, element.com, compass.com, whatever user interface suits you, uh, you can go there and you should be able to find all of the major firms that are Revney members, uh, all the listings on those websites. So it's not a public MLS, but basically everybody's websites now have all the information or at least the listings. Um, prices, obviously prices are a little bit higher here. It's, it's expensive to live here. So uh, where our starting prices probably in the mid twos, maybe 200,000 for one of those tiny little studios in Tudor city or something like that. Um, but uh, you know, uh, it goes up from there. Um, you know, we had what, a hundred and what was there? 120 million. What was the one, the biggest one that's 120 million, 120. Yeah. 
So anywhere in that category, uh, it's a it's a big uh, a big spread. <clears throat> um, it, but the co-ops and condos are certainly one of the big the biggest differences, and that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, so first and foremost, where do they start, John? What's well, the number one thing if you were to say like the first? Thing I would say that the first, well, the very first thing is you have to have the money to buy. But if you have money to purchase and you need a good place to start, you need to find, and we talked about it in episode 17, a really qualified real estate broker. And so I cannot tell you how many buyers that I have been referred to that said, oh, well, you know, we've looked at how apartments before, but we stumbled upon in our search and we went into an open house or then this agent started to take us around and they weren't qualified, like we didn't jive with them. So you as a purchaser really should do your homework and either through a friend of a friend, but you have to be careful because there are many, many, many real estate agents in New York City, but that doesn't qualify them to be quality, honest, really hardworking and knowledgeable real estate brokers. So you need to find yourself somebody that you can like and that you trust. And that is that that is not said. I am not saying those words very, um, you know, just matter of factly. Uh, it takes a while to build trust, and so you and I have been selling real estate for twenty plus years, and we have a very very strong track record in terms of our personal referral base because we've we've learned along the way, and we're honest real estate brokers, and we we pride ourselves on being knowledgeable, and then honestly navigating the buyer from start to finish. So find yourself a great uh, real estate broker that you can trust. Yeah. And one of the number one things that I see our position as our, our position in the, the whole process, obviously we wear lots of different hats, but in the search phase, we can really truncate the, the whole process and, and help you get to uh, the right category of property in the right location, uh, just by having conversations. We've gone through this so many times with people. If you start talking about what you look for in a neighborhood, like the general sort of look of the neighborhood or the feel of the neighborhood, we've worked with enough people that we can say, oh, well, you're interested in this neighborhood. Here's a, another neighborhood that has a similar feel to it, has the same sort of amenities to it, and it's a little bit cheaper. Have you, have you thought of that and help sort of brainstorm through the process um, and get to, uh, you know, saving time, time is money. And if there's one thing that people are, are uh, lacking here in Manhattan in particular, it's extra time, downtime, you know, it's so it's, it's hyper competitive here, no matter what industry you're in. So anywhere you can shave off time and be more efficient um, is certainly a welcome thing. So listen, I give a lot of credit to people that try to do it on their own. And if they can manage through, most people don't have the time, the patience or the energy to do that. So um, it, many people start and then they switch and they decide, you know, <laughs> you know what, I realized I, I knew, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And I don't have the time or energy to pick up all the knowledge needed to know in order to safeguard myself from the many pitfalls that are out there and make this an efficient process. So, so, um, so let me just ask you a question. Sure. Once the, once the, uh, the buyer finds themselves a qualified broker or, or an agent to work with, 
then what what are the basics that they have to look at? What's the first what's the first and foremost? I talked about it when before they have to find a broker, they've got to what? Well, they got to look at their money. So there's a, there's there's logic that comes into play. If you have ten thousand dollars in the bank and you make fifty thousand dollars a year, there's just there's there's no options for you on the island of Manhattan, um, not in our markets. Um, so th there is some logic. I mean, it, you, you really the boroughs, perhaps the I mean, you have to have the down payment, and and with a starting price in the north of two hundred thousand. Um, you're, you really have to think about down payments going to be, a, even in a condo is going to probably be five or 10%, even if you do like a first time home buyer program or something like that, which are, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've never seen somebody put down, um, less than 10%. Yeah. Uh, it's always been 10%, mm -hmm. um, at a minimum. So I think right I there in Brooklyn, I think I think deal many years ago in Brooklyn where the buyer, I think was putting down 3%, okay. something like that. a long yeah. time ago. It's a small apartment, but yeah. So vague memory. Yeah. So going through that financial side and, and where you do that is not only the agent. So that's a first start, but if you already have a relationship with a banker or something, if you, have bought property elsewhere. If you have uh, a friend or somebody that works in Manhattan real estate on the on the mortgage side, that's where one of the first people that I refer people to any prospective buyer because they need to know their money. And and listen, it also keeps me out of that discussion because not everybody in their first conversation is ready to tell me where all the money is at and how much money they make, et cetera, et cetera. So you can go to and refer them to a mortgage banker who that's solely their purpose is, is the money. And, and they can very quickly in 15 minutes, not only give them a, a possible budget, a probable budget, um, but also quantify things for that buyer in, in terms of what the product's gonna look like and what that money's gonna cost them on a monthly basis. Well, if I could interject, I do ask, show me the money. In well, I do as well, but- Long ago, when I first started selling real estate, I started laughing. I was assisting a broker and I had a buyer on the phone and she said, qualify the buyer. And I was like, what does that mean? She said, how much money do they have? I said, well, I can't ask them that. And she's like, you got to find out. And I was like, could, could you tell me what you have in your bank account? And they're like, oh, sure. I got this. It's like, really? And I kept asking the questions. I was like writing them down. I couldn't believe it. And so what I tell new agents is, I said, you have to qualify your buyer. I said, it's like going into Prada in New York City and saying, oh my God, I love that suit. Well, it's $3,800. Ooh, I only have $1,500. Well, then come back when you got the $3,800. You know? So it's the yeah. same thing, but on a bigger scale. It's like, yeah. you got to show me the money. So yeah, but I agree with you too. You know, sometimes it's kind of like, Let's find out how much you can borrow and the bankers our yeah. and and the, the the broker will refer the buyer to hopefully good resources like yeah, me. I mean listen, it's a it's a learning process. And so but we're good at qualifying the buyers. Yeah, you, the people that uh, the people that aren't ready to talk about their money probably aren't psychologically ready to buy or they don't have the money or they're just very guarded. Some people are just very guarded and I get that. I mean, it's a very invasive process. And that's one of the first things I start talking to them about is, you know, prepare yourself because you do have to supply 
a lot of stuff, a lot of your information. I'm going to know more about you mm -hmm. probably than your children ever <laughs> will, um, probably than your parents ever will in regards to your finances um, because of the, uh, the fun board application process, but we'll get to that. So, all right. So pick a broker. Talk. We talked about uh, a banker getting involved. That's always good. Uh, the one we didn't talk about is the other important one is an attorney. So it's good to have an attorney that's uh, well versed in the. We've we've we touched on that a few times. Uh, the importance of a, a good real estate transaction attorney. Um, so we'll throw that into the mix. It's good to just have that sort of box checked. So because you never know how quickly you're gonna find a place and be ready to make an offer. And we like that to be a piece of that offer. So um, to just show you've got your ducks in a row. So once you have your team in place, John, then what's uh, the next step? Well, then the, the broker is gonna communicate with you and they're gonna talk about probably educating the buyer. And so you need to become educated. I don't know how, how educated some buyers are more educated than others, but even buyers that had lived in Manhattan at one time and moved out of the city and they're coming back, they sometimes need to know the difference between the cooperative and the co-op condo. So you have a, a ton of rental units in Manhattan, but in the sales arena, you have the co-ops, condos, and townhouses. So for the sake of this, of this, um, let's say we're buying an apartment in New York City. Well, you know, 65, 70% of the market is going to be cooperative, like we've talked about in other episodes. And then 30% are condos, new developments, condominiums. And so the condos are going to be much easier to purchase in. Deeded property, your rights as an owner are far broader. Uh, you are, um, uh, you know, you even though now in condominiums, they're asking for transfer packages similar to what's a board application and a cooperative. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's a little, many of the condos are more intrusive now. They want financial disclosure, et cetera. But you as an owner have broader rights. So you can rent your apartment out. You can use the apartment as an investment vehicle, et cetera. In a cooperative, the cooperatives are going to price, oh, and then in the condos, they're going to price anywhere between 15, 25, 30% more than co-ops. So co-ops in Manhattan, usually our buyers are going to be, many of them will be first-time buyers, not all, but uh, that they are going to be buying a cooperative. And so in the cooperatives, you're purchasing, purchasing shares in the corporation, you're at the dictate of the cooperative and you, it's like buying in a country club, like we would say. So yeah. as you accurately pointed out, you're going to have to know everything. And in the first conversation with the buyer, I prep the buyer for the fact that they are going to want full financial disclosure with verification of assets, letters of reference, uh, all tax work with all schedules, et cetera. So it's really, really, really intrusive. But then again, they're going to know who their know who their their neighbors are. So yeah. that's buying in. Those are the differences, and really spelling out the differences. And the buyer usually will say to me, "Wow, you know, a condo's that much, and the co-op's going to be this much." I said, "Yeah, you know." So we're going to be looking for cooperatives, and we yeah, you pay for that. You pay for that, and we're going to look at. Also, you got to look at maintenances in a cooperative. Common charges and taxes are lumped together as a maintenance. In a condo, there are common charges and taxes, and they can be very, very, very high in some of these new buildings. Really examining which a which kind of property you want to buy and which kind of property you can afford to buy. 
And some buyers simply only want to buy a condominium. Other buyers are flexible. They say, oh, having the condo would be great. But I really, you know, when they see the trade-off between what their money is going to buy in a condominium versus a cooperative, they go for a co-op. So then what? Then what? I mean, what do we so do? Many people buyers? also just have an aversion. They, they've heard horror stories about co-ops. And I'm like, honestly, you, you talked about it. The, the requirements, the actual application process is very similar anymore with these yes. resale condos, not the new developments. Those are easy. Put down your money, close, fine. Um, but the resale condos, it's almost the same. Some of them, I mean, you, many times people feel they're overreaching and because all they have is the right of first refusal, but it is what it is. If you don't comply and give the board what's in the application, you're not abiding to the contract. So, uh, right. that, and, and living some, in them, you would never know any different. You know, you're just living in a building with a multi-unit building. So that's that's the one decision, the co-op versus condo. Then it's you know all the other decisions. So we usually, I think we have we have a similar methodology when we work with buyers. We talk about their wants and their needs, which is always you know it includes uh, is there a gym in the building? Is there a doorman? Is there a view is there washer dryer right there is there washer dryer do they allow dogs do they where is it located right in the neighborhood that of course is is always one of the big ones and where we start okay which neighborhoods do you want to start with and then that changes over time you know you have people that uh, think that they need to have an open kitchen for instance and then they start to walk through spaces and and then you see like a nice formal dining room with a closed kitchen, a big but closed kitchen. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not so bad. And it, so it's a, it's a constant uh, work in progress, this list of wants and needs, and they don't know what they don't know. They don't know where they're going to land. And, and like you said, people may have bought and been in their last apartment for 10 or 15 years. And it's like starting fresh, you know, they forget even what the, all the differences are between co-ops and condos. They forget when I was looking for this, I wanted this, but now their life's changed and now they're empty nesters and now they have more money and they have more options and now they want more separation of space or whatever that may be. So that's the fun part of the process of working with buyers is figuring it out with them. So, sure. uh, but location, obviously, the type that people generally come to us with a semblance of uh, an area that they want to live within. Many times yep. it's in the area that they already live within because we, we've said it before. It's hard to know a neighborhood really until you live there. And how many apartments do they see? Well, we listen, we've both had people on opposite ends of the spectrum. We've both had buyers where we we go and we show them five places and they pick one and buy it. Not in today's market. You know, I'd say that's probably non-existent in today's market. But when the market was really hot and people were just buying whatever they could find, if it was good enough, um, because they just, you know, the market was that hot and everybody was just going, 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 every property was flying off the shelves, may take them out once and they find something, you know, because we'll generally show between five and 10 properties at a, at a, uh, in each tour. And then we've gone to the other end of the spectrum where we show for multiple years and, and sometimes over a hundred apartments. So sometimes and, they never buy. And sometimes they never buy. I mean, we've both had that scenario where we work with people for 
on and off maybe. Usually it's on or off. It's hard to, you know, work with somebody continuously for a couple of years unless they're, uh, you know, coming in from out of the out of the city or something, and just popping in and out once every three months or something. But sure, but sometimes um, yeah. the buyer comes in and out of the marketplace, and yeah, unfortunately they come back to us. So yeah, and then they sometimes things change in that year that they're looking with for something, and now all of a sudden they don't need that property anymore, and they yeah, move to Timbuktu. You know, so yeah. it's it, it's part of the game. You know, hopefully. And thankfully, it's always evened out. And, you know, the, you have your easier transactions, quote unquote, where uh, it, you don't have to show somebody 100 units. And, and then you have your harder ones. And they, it, it's all fun in some regards. You know, the point is, is you work with, fun, we try to work with fun people that we really like and want to help. Um, that's what keeps us going. And it's, it, at the end of the day, it's a relationship business. We've always said that. So it's about the relationship. You want to service yeah. them and, and keep going. But that that changing, morphing expectation list is uh, is always a work in progress until you until you finally see it. And we've also always had, we both had the issue where, or the, the instance where we go out and we're showing them places and then you see something like way out of the circle of what they're looking at and they fall in love with it, you know? And you're like, <laughs> That's not what we talked about at all, you know. So <laughs> it keeps happened. it interesting. All right. So then, when we finally find the apartment that they want to buy, then it's time to make the offer. And I cannot emphasize this enough. So if you are buying an apartment, this is the this is a very important reason why to work with a really great broker because we, when we receive offers on our listings, if the offer is incomplete. If the offer is just absolutely poorly crafted, it bodes very well for not only the broker, but also it bodes not very well for the broker as well as the purchaser. It does not serve the purchaser well. It's so a sure say, way to kill a deal. That's very that well. is kill and We have experienced over the years several instances where our bidders were not the highest bidder, but our package, our our offer was really, really, really complete. It facilitates the transaction. So when I say that, we want the first two pages of their two years of tax returns. We want a full financial statement on the buyer. We want a buy over the buyer. If the buyer has a real estate attorney, we want the name and the address. If they can retain their attorney in making their offer, that's great. Their pre-approval letter, if they're getting financing, as you would say, we want to gather that data early on so that when they go to make the the offer on the apartment that we, as the brokers, present to the other broker a transparent image of who the buyers are. So when they, they look, they can educate their seller and say, wow, these people are very, very nice. They went to uh, Cornell. They went to University of Pennsylvania. They, they have two children in private schools, that kind of data. So we want to give not just, okay, here's the financial statement. They make the bid. So we give the offer, the terms of closing, percentage of financing, whether they are going to waive the financing contingency in the contract or whether they will they, they need the financing contingency in the contract. We want to give all the details so that when the, when the broker looks at the offer, they say, wow, what a great offer. Let me get back to you. Also, we counsel the buyer on the offer itself. And in this market, particularly the buyers, because it is a buyer's market, 
They want to come in 25 to 30% off of the asking prices on all of the apartments. That's our job. We've got to counsel them. And sometimes the buyer listens to us and other times the buyers don't. And then they're going to yep. lose the apartment. And sometimes they have to lose an apartment. A couple of them. Or a couple of them in order to get- say, oh, wow. Yeah. So the, so the negotiating happens. Finally, yeah. then we get to an accepted offer. Yes. And a, the coveted accepted offer. Do you want to take it from there? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. so the next step is it goes into the attorney's hands. So we then at that point, we hand the ball to the attorneys, uh -huh. the importance of the attorney. Uh, the seller's attorney drafts the contract, sends it to the buyer's attorney. The buyer's attorney does his or her due diligence on the building negotiates the contract of sale. Typically, the, the attorneys will negotiate without really even talking to their clients too much. They negotiate what they believe is a, a fair contract. Uh, and then they go, it's always subject to the client's review. Then they go to the clients and review it with them, make any minor changes as needed. And then the buyer signs the contract, sends a 10% deposit back to the seller's attorney. And the seller countersigns it, the attorney deposits a 10% escrow into their account, and then we have, and returns the contract, and then we have a legally binding contract. Then, at that point in time, this first time any money exchanges hands, both buyer and seller are legally bound to that deal. Um, so then we go to, as I mentioned earlier, the coveted board application phase, uh, and which, also, by the way, I think you're a genius at. I will say that if anybody decides they want to buy with us, Jonathan's a genius at them. But not only the board application, but more importantly, is to get the mortgage application going. Uh, because what needs to be a piece of that board application is the commitment letter from the bank, which usually takes, it's, it's after the appraisal, um, after it goes through underwriting. Um, so you're usually at at least 20 you know, three to four weeks out from the day we go to contract, because that's that's the kicking off point for both those applications. So <clears throat> that's like you mentioned, the financials, the tax returns, the reference letters, et cetera, et cetera. And that's that's what your your buyer's agent is for. And then the seller's agent to review it before it goes in. Always good to have another set of eyes go through it um, just to make sure that you didn't miss anything. I know as many of these things as I've done, you know, you're looking at these numbers and the the, the package so much that you just kind of like, you, you can miss things, you know, little things can just slip through your fingers because there's so many little tedious things that you have to uh, put together and, and explain, et cetera. And the goal of those really, the goal of the board package is, is really just to answer any questions before they even come up. Uh, so you, your number one goal is get it into the managing agent. They have no questions. It goes to the board. They have no questions. And we go straight to the interview. That's the goal. Um, so yes, do we uh, go uh, do a very thorough job of it? Yes. But the, the second somebody has a question on those applications, it delays everything by a week. So better to take an extra day and do it exactly so that we know we have the best chance of no questions um, rather than waste that week down the road and annoy the managing agent or the board or yeah. whatever. So yeah. once the board does respond that they want to interview the client, uh, the, the, the buyer, this is that a is a, only. Yeah. in a cooperative building, see in a condominium building, 
the board then must sign over what is called the waiver of right of first refusal. And so once we, once we, if we get the waiver of right of first refusal, there's no interview, then we can close in a condominium. But in a cooperative, the board must interview the prospective buyers. And I tell every single buyer, that's a really, really good sign when you get your interview, because the board is approving the application basically on paper. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, they want to meet the new buyers, welcome them to the building, et cetera. But it is these days, given COVID, the board interview is done all virtually. So on Zoom, they will, I have literally have candidates going in front of a board tonight at 7 p.m. And all three of them, they're buying with their daughter. All three of them will be on the Zoom call. And from the waist up, their they grown will be daughter. Adult daughter, anybody over the age of 18, they'll yes. want to meet as well. That's correct. Yeah, it's an adult daughter. And so they will be dressed professionally. And then they will allow the board members who are on the Zoom call to dictate the call, as they would in basically a job interview. The board will ask the candidates or they will talk to them and conduct an interview anywhere between, <clears throat> pardon me, 20 minutes to a half hour. And if there are more than just one buyer on the call, I counsel the buyer to you, the buyers, do not answer to ask any questions. Number one, first and foremost, allow the board to ask all the questions. If they direct a question to one of the parties, make sure you answer. If they direct the party to the husband, the husband answers, not the wife answering for the husband or the wife answering for the the, the, you know, in this case, the daughter. Again, if the board asks the buyer at the very end of the interview, are there any further questions? The standard answer is no, the brokers have really briefed us and we would want nothing more than to be part of the building or whatever. Thank you very much. And they thank them for their time. They leave. And many times the board will then say, well, thank you. We'll be letting you know formally by tomorrow or, you know, some boards will say, well, welcome to the building. We look forward to having you in the building, et cetera. But yeah. then the managing agent will be in touch with your broker. So yeah. it's- But not well, always. I always tell people, if they don't say it, it doesn't mean you're not approved. It just means they don't do that. They ever they each correct. have their own process. You know, sometimes they just, no matter how much they like you, they wait until afterwards and they discuss and render their decision. You know, yes. as, as a And sometimes it doesn't happen the next day. Yeah. It's taken two, maybe three days where we're already saying, are we really? And uh, But it's going to be dependent on the cooperative. So that's the co-op process. And, um, and yeah. then what? Well, typically, yeah. so we'll get the official board approval, typically, like you said, the day after, but sometimes it takes a couple of days um, before we hear through the managing agent. I always like, because I call the managing agent religiously the day after, usually in the afternoon, uh, or I have Daniel do it at this point, but, and you call them and they're like, uh, it seems like 50% of the time they're like, oh yeah, they were approved. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to get, I was going to call you later today or blah, blah, yeah. blah. I've just been really busy, blah, blah, blah. Almost, I don't, I can't even count how many times that's happened. Um, so, uh, but once we get that official approval through the managing agent, then uh, the attorneys get involved again and we set up the closing. So there's a couple of big things that need to happen in order for us to actually get to a closing table. One is the clearance to close from the bank. 
uh, from the buyer's bank. Uh, How do you know that? How do you know that the file's cleared to close or? Well, the mortgage banker will, will advise. So we reach out to the mortgage banker, um, let them know we got the official approval. Everybody, you know, if everybody's ready to close, everybody's ready to, to get it on the calendar. because Who sets up the closing? The attorney. So the attorneys will, will coordinate that with the managing agent. Uh, if it's a co-op, if it's a condo, they don't, you know, they don't need the, they just need the, some documents from the, the managing agent. But on a co-op, the closing is actually, well, historically speaking, in normal times, the closings are at the managing agent's office because there you're, you know, they have to write the new share certificate. There's just a lot more paperwork and such that needs to move around and in case there's issues. So, um, so it's just a scheduling thing. So you need the buyer, the seller, both their attorneys, you need the mortgage banker if there is one, uh, you need the payoff bank if there is one, you need the managing agent if it's a co-op or you need the documents from the managing agent if it's a condominium. So eight people, generally speaking, the brokers, you know, will go whenever. It's sort of, we don't really actually have a big job at the closing table. All of our work at that point is done. Uh, so the, the last piece of the puzzle for the last job or, or step for the broker to take, for us to take, is the, the final walkthrough. So we will do a final inspection of the apartment, just a walkthrough, uh, to make sure that it's basically in the same condition that we remember. So when the seller was moving out, they didn't put a big hole in the wall or they didn't pull up the rug and there was, you know, the, the floors, there was a big hole in the floor. Uh, normal wear and tear is, is fine. It just, you know, it can't be a significant difference from, from what it was. Holes in the walls, those sorts of things, those remain unless it's bigger than this. I think it's a, is it a nine? Dime, dime, yeah. So if it's if it's smaller than the, a dime, uh, they don't. You don't have to do anything as a seller. It, it, you don't have to patch and repaint. But if you have a TV hanging on the wall and you cut a big hole in the wall to run the wires and you never really finished it out, well, you're going to have to finish that out unless it's yeah. talked about previous. So um, we test all the appliances. We test the water. Make sure that there's no uh, no obvious leaks. Um, open the windows, open the windows, check the outlets, you know, everybody's broom a little clean. Different. Some broom clean, some, some buyers will be gutting the apartment. Well, they're not too concerned whether that 1960s oven works. Um, so it, it's always relative to the deal and the terms of the deal. But, uh, but that final walkthrough typically always happens the day of the closing, the morning of, or perhaps the evening before you really want to see it really before the money exchanges hands um, yeah. as close to it as you can. So that's it. Then we close and it's all in the attorney's hands. And it's, it's still impressive to this day, you know, where they, they move so much paperwork around, especially on the co-op side. Um, and then the buyer gets the apartment, they get the stock and the lease certificate and they get their keys at the closing. Yep. And well, it is, you know, uh, uh, just an additional logistics. Where do the keys go? Who have the keys? How do we send them to where? Because we don't no. all sit in a room and super spread. So no contract is going to be contingent on an inspection in New York City. But many buyers, particularly these days, do want to do 
actual inspections of the apartment. Even though we counsel them and say, well, you're only responsible for the four walls inside the walls of the apartment, the co cooperative as a whole is responsible for the building. But, but buyers or sellers will allow the inspection. It's just that it's not going to be contingent. The contract never is contingent on the inspection. So some buyers will, they'll get an accepted offer. They'll say, we want to do an inspection quickly and within the first couple of days of being in contract or, or uh, I'm sorry, as soon as they before receive contract. the contract, before they actually sign the contract, they will bring their inspector in. And I don't think, I don't think there's been ever any kind of an issue, at least on our side, with yeah. the inspection itself. But we always say, that's fine, you can do so, but it's at your expense. We don't usually do it, but by all means, go ahead. So Yeah, and it's done prior to the contract signing, like you said. And, and frankly, uh, when it's our listing, yeah, do an inspection from sure. the buyer's perspective. We never give any kind of an issue. Yeah, and and they and it also you know it does commit people a little bit more to the deal because absolutely they they, they have to pay for that upfront and it's going to run you you know on a, a studio one bedroom probably six hundred seven hundred dollars on and up from there the bigger the apartment uh, the the more it's going to cost and so it binds it you know, it's them putting their money where their mouth is in terms of the offer itself. But also, like you said, we've, we've never really had any big issues come about of these inspections. So it, it gives them a level of comfort and confidence. And I'm all for buyers moving into these transactions and sellers for that matter, with as much confidence that they want to buy this apartment. So I, there's no downside to it uh, from our perspective. Um, and it's, uh, and it, for some buyers, especially those that have bought and sold properties outside the, the city where inspections are, are normal standard operating procedure. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, people like in that category, they need that. They need, we've, we've bought and sold with a couple buyers that they do it on every transaction. Correct. Fine. Yeah. It's for their own peace of mind. You know? And one last thing before we end the podcast, we have had our experiences that we've had really, really, like you said, the transaction closes and the buyer gets their keys and they're now the rightful owner. And it's a wonderful, wonderful closing. But we could do a whole episode <laughs> on what can go wrong in a closing. And we've had several closings that have been absolute nightmares. But most of them, they all, they always close. The apartment always closes. You know, I don't think yeah. that we've ever had a closing that has never happened. They can be difficult births, but for the most part, the buyer gets the apartment, the seller gets their money, and they go their ways. So thank you so much for being part of the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. I thought it was a blast. I love it. A good time. I think we got enough information in there. It's oh, my gosh. We gave them, that, that is exactly what you have to do to buy an apartment in New York City. Point and there's a lot more to come from there. I mean, you know, it's funny. Every time I talk to these first-time buyers, especially, and you start talking about and answering questions around the process and around, you know, qualifying. And before you know it, an hour goes by. Absolutely. And you can like, like their heads, they're spinning, you know, and it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg with all the different uh aspects of purchasing here from qualifying to going through the process to closing um which is why you work with fantastic agents such as john guestasca 
Um, absolutely. What do you think it is? Like you're going to buy the most expensive asset of your life and be like, oh, hey, hi, it's John Smith. Oh, hi, John. How you doing? I'd like to buy an apartment. Great. Can you go out next Thursday? <laughs> That's well, what a lot of brokers do. They start, like, we just had one of those instances where we had a, a broker submit an offer. And it's like, well, okay, well, we have to discuss how, how much money they have because they don't have enough money to buy the apartment. Yeah, they, they don't have enough money for the down payment. Yes. So, oh, well, I thought that this would count. No, it doesn't count. All right. As always, John, a pleasure to talk to you. You as well, Jonathan. A lot of information there. If anybody has, anybody has any questions, reach out to us. We're happy to chat further. It's one of our jobs that we, you know, we both enjoy is educating somebody on the process. Love it. Um, so with that, everybody stay safe, stay, stay healthy. We will see you next week. And also, John, what do you want to tell gratitude. them? There you go. Always be grateful. Thanks for watching or listening to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. If you want to find us online or sign up to get our monthly and quarterly market stats, come on over to our website, johnandjonathansellnyc.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere else with the handle at John and Jonathan Sell NYC. And if you want to grab the show notes, go to johnandjonathansellnyc.com slash podcast. If this show was entertaining, helpful, or informative, consider telling friends or family or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are some of the best ways of supporting our efforts, and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in. We can't wait to share what's coming up next. So subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss our next episode and we'll see you next time.